You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello, positively perky, pumped problem punchers. Welcome to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. This is episode 43, and of course, I'm your humble host, Karen, and we are your cauldron of calculating calves, calorizing calzones, and calamari. It was a long day. I couldn't think of a good one. I haven't calorized a calzone in a while. (laughs) I'm Colin. It actually fits with the alliteration. Whoa. I'm Dana. Broke it. Uh, And I'm Chris. We brought it back. Yeah. I have a touching email that I want to share with everybody. And this is from Adam. And he wrote in. He said, hello, smarty pants. My name is Adam, and I'm an eighth grader in Connecticut. I've listened to every single one of your podcasts and always look forward to hearing the newest. However, I'm not just emailing you to give you compliments, even though I could. I need help. I entered a quiz bowl. If you don't know what that is, which is probably impossible, it is a (laughs) trivia quiz show. He's eighth grade. It is a trivia quiz event that is attended by other schools in your state. Are there any tips that you can give to help become ready for the quiz bowl and to help me compete well in the quiz bowl? Um, P.S. Did you know what looks like a horn coming out from a male narwhal is actually a long tooth? That penetrates through the head. Nice. (laughs) I actually did not know that. I think I did, but it still sounds painful. Uh, I don't know if so. I did something kind of like the quiz bowl when I I did the academic decathlon when I was in high school. One tip that I remember getting that was really helpful was if they give you a reading list ahead of time, these books, you're sort of responsible for this knowledge, read the captions in the photos because we got burned on some questions and we went back afterward and sure enough, it was in the book but it would be in the caption to a picture or in the footnote to hmm. something like that. So that's one little bit of advice. Just oh, scour the details if they give you a reading list. Yeah, any mm. other advice for someone preparing for a quiz bowl? I mean, I would say you can know a lot of the answers to the questions, but what will happen is you'll get really nervous because of the pressure, because of the the situation of you kind of standing up in front of a bunch of people or like having a buzzer or a timer. And so you might freak out a little bit and miss a question that you would ordinarily get. So I would say practice in as realistic a quiz bowl Mm. setting as you can. Like, have your family prepare questions that you don't know the answers to. Figure out how it all goes and, like, stand up, shine a bunch of spotlights on you. (laughs) You know, really try to simulate what it's going to be like standing up there on stage, stand in front of a whole bunch of people and raise the stakes. Yeah, and just go through the the nerve-wracking part of it as much as you can before the real thing so that you're just sort of prepped. You know, the presidential debates, they don't just, like, hang around in their living room and talk about what they're going to talk about. Like, they actually set up big stages where they do mock debates so that they're comfortable with how it's going to feel when you're really up there. Oh, good point. Try to wear comfortable clothes when you go there. I know this sounds <laughs> like being physically comfortable is really important, I think, to feeling okay when you're in a stressful situation. Practice with your teammates. I don't know if you're on a team or not. Being really comfortable with the people that you have to perform with is a really big deal. What about preparation? Some of the good things, like periodic table of elements, always good to go over. One Academy my... Award-winning films. Exactly. Yeah. Like knowing the Academy Award. Of course, I would definitely recommend 
knowing your geography yeah. and especially bodies of water. You know, Black Sea versus Red Sea. Can right. you tell which one's which? You know, a lot of people be like, oh, okay, I know where all the countries, but bodies of water sometimes are trickier. It seems like, Adam, you're, you're pretty young. I would suggest you to go on YouTube and watch some of the Animaniac songs. And, and we've talked about Animaniacs <laughs> on the show yes, before. Yeah. Where there are a lot of songs and, and mnemonics and things that help you memorize capitals of states, yeah. uh, different countries in the world, even though that might have a little changed a bit now. And also for geography nerds, one of my favorite apps available is called GeoMaster. And that can quiz you on the locations of all the countries, but also bodies of water, capital cities, and all of that. So that's a really handy tool. And we wish you guys uh, the best of luck. Yeah, good luck. Go kick some brains. And we get 30% of your winnings. Um, This concludes our address to the children of America. (laughs) Uh, Speaking of quiz bowl, we have our little mini quiz bowl here with Pop Quiz Hotshot. I got a random trivia card here, and get your buzzers ready, and here we go. Blue Wedge for Geography. Where is the Sulab International Museum of Toilets? Multiple choice. Casablanca, <laughs> Istanbul, or New Delhi? See, I was going to say Flushing, New York. <laughs> <laughs> Istanbul. It is New Delhi. Nah. Yeah. Who knew? New Delhi. Old toilets. <laughs> <laughs> Pink Wedge, Pop Culture. What TV show features this string of numbers? 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42, calling. That would be lost. Correct. Yellow Wedge. What company is credited with spreading the popular image of Santa Claus in red robes with its 1930s advertising? Dana. Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. Purple Wedge. Which is not a roll doll book? Oh, too easy. Oh, really? Okay, multiple choice. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, (laughs) Fantastic Mr. Fox, or James and the Giant Peach? Dana. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Correct. Written by... Ian Fleming. That is correct. Yes. Really? The Ian Fleming. James Bond. James Bond and Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. (laughs) Quite a range. (laughs) (laughs) Green Wedge for Science. What 2006 documentary, based on a slideshow... Helped fuel the green movement. Oh. Chris Collar. An inconvenient truth. Yes. And last question, Orange Wedge. If you're playing the name game with the name (laughs) Hazel, (laughs) what is the second to last word you should sing? I think we should make Chris Maisel. sing. I think Chris should sing. Uh, yeah. It is Maisel. <laughs> Please show your work. Uh, good job, everybody. So it is the holiday season. And for this week's show, we decided to go with a pretty general theme. We all picked our favorite things to talk about. So mm-hmm. the theme is our favorite things. Whiskers on kittens, bright copper kettles and warm woolen mittens, brown paper packages tied up with strings. These are a few of my favorite things. Cream-colored ponies and crisp apple strudels, doorbells and sleigh bells and schnitzel with noodles, wild geese that fly with the moon on their wings. These are a few of my favorite things. 
So one of my favorite things to study and work with is fonts. Mm. And you guys, we've uh, talked about before, you guys know I'm a big typography nerd and yes, love know. choosing fonts and laying out. So I've put together for you guys a little font and typography quiz. Huh. And I figured that you guys will probably do pretty well, being that we're a collection of voracious readers and professional writers and design-minded people. <laughs> I'm going to give Let's you guys... so. <laughs> <laughs> so keep in mind, everything here around fonts or typography or print setting. All right. What is a serif? When we talk about serif fonts or sans serif fonts. I think that's Chris. When you have a letter, it's the little extra slash on the end of the letter that makes it fancier. Yeah, that's right. It's like the little, feet. like a little feet, feet exactly. Like, Although they can also be on the top, like the yeah, top yeah, of a B. On the side. They're like little wings or yeah, little decorations. Yeah, yeah. You know, we really associate them with like Roman engraving, like mm-hmm. just that really kind of classic looking style. And you know, it's funny, for a long time there was this hot debate that, oh, this is more legible than this. That's you know? what I always thought. And certainly in my early days, like designing for the web and font design and things like that, I was always taught that serif fonts are easier printed, sans serif fonts are easier on screen. Huh. And the more I, I've dug into this, it actually is really, really not that clear that mm. one is better for legibility or another, especially mm. with like high res devices now. Mm. So it really comes down to what do you prefer? Where do the terms uppercase and lowercase come from? Why do we call the two different uh, styles of letters? How do you guys letters? know this? <laughs> it's printing, printing press. Were, uh, they, were yes. they two sets of letters? Yeah, yeah. that's right. Oh. Exactly. That's, it's as simple yes. as that. Yeah, yeah, when you would have the pieces of metal type in, a, in an old style print shop laying them out, you would literally have an uppercase above with mm-hmm. the what we call the capital letters, and you would have a lowercase down below mm-hmm. with the more frequently used, more easily accessible letters. Oh, it's that as makes simple as that. So much sense <laughs> because you don't use uppercase. That's why it's stored in. You don't the use case it as that much. That's right. And for any given and for any given letter, you'll. Wow. Ne- You'll need way more of the lowercase versions than you do of the uppercase uh, versions. Yes. So it's easier to reach. Right, right. Wow. Yeah. What are the names for the parts of a letter, like the tail of a lowercase y or the oh. left part of a lowercase h, the parts of a letter that go below the baseline oh. or above the top of a small Crap. letter? Crap. Oh. <laughs> That's Chris. not the name. Uh, tittles. <laughs> they are not tittles. No, that's all well, the J. tittles is the dots on the I and the J. Oh, Those okay. Are tittles. Yes, I'm talking about like the tail of a Y connected. Oh, yes, you are correct. Okay. Yeah, not the dots, right? They are simply enough the ascenders and descenders. Oh, oh yeah. If I'm adjusting the kerning on a line of type, what am I adjusting? The, the space between the characters. Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your kerning is the space between the letters. So, if kerning is the space between the letters, what is the space between lines of type? Karen. Letting. It is the letting. Oh. And this one is a good one because there's two bits in here. One is that a lot of people think it's pronounced leading. People who may only see it written out and may not work with fonts or type, mm-hmm. you say, oh, adjust the leading in Microsoft mm-hmm. Word. Do you want to guess where the name comes from? From lead? Yeah. They would have little shims, little strips of lead. And if you oh, wanted to adjust if you wanted to adjust the leading, you would add more lead to space it out. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. So people see that and they assume it's leading. This is leading up to the next line. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It makes again leading. folk etymology. It makes wow. sense. Yeah, so these yeah, old totally. words. You would never use it outside of right. print shop. That's cool. Mm-hmm. All right, last one here. We'll close this out. Fonts are historically measured using a couple specific types of measurements called points mm-hmm. and picas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
how many points are there to an inch? So if I talk about 10-point font, 20-point font, these are the things we're talking about. I have no and idea. And these have a very specific relationship oh, no. to real-world measurements. Wow, no idea. I did. Can I figure this out? I you mean... can figure it out. It has okay. it, This number has a very, very common occurrence in computer world and digital printing. Karen? 32. No. 24. Um, no. Are there... 12 points to an inch? There are 12 no. points to a pica, uh-huh. 6 picas to an inch, uh-huh. so there are 72. 72. Oh. So we often talk about in printing 72 DPI. Oh, that's, yeah. a, that's not a coincidence. 72 it comes from print. It comes from wow. print, that's right. Hmm. 72 points cool. to inch. I thought pica was a eating disorder. It is also okay. an eating disorder, <laughs> yes, but you can also use it as a uh, measurement like of people font. who eat paper <laughs> things. Right, right, right. right, right. Yeah. All right, well, good job, guys. That was pretty good there. Oh, cool. Man, good quiz. Hard. So you think it'd be pretty easy to prep for today's show because it's like, oh, it's our favorite things, but where do I start? Uh, I kind of asked myself, you know, what was the first thing that made me think, like, holy crap, this world is so cool. I can't <laughs> believe this exists. And it's just absolutely in awe. You know, I think back, maybe when I was five or six, I got this toy, and it's like a clear plastic cube with a like a maze platform inlay oh, and what yeah. you're supposed to do is you're supposed to balance and there's a bead of mercury you're supposed to guide through yeah. the maze yeah, right? yeah, yeah. I totally uh-huh. remember those yeah. I totally remember those and of course after the first few times you solve the maze uh, I'm sure a lot of people like me broke open of course. <laughs> the uh, plastic and the case mercury. and played with the mercury yeah. and that was the first time I've ever seen mercury and and played with mercury in my bare hands (laughs) and i don't know like i hope i'm speaking for everybody here like the first time when you see mercury or you learn about mercury it's just mesmerizing it's like absolutely was it's shiny and it's reflective and it's heavy but it moves like water and it separates into like little balls when you squish them it's just amazing and it's quite seductive back in my father's day they used to just give it to kids they're like here play with this yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, cool they didn't know yeah and of course like most beautiful things in the world uh it is very 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 bad for you uh highly <laughs> highly poisonous yeah. and, and toxic mercury used to be called quicksilver so one of the older names is hydrogium is that where its uh, elemental symbol comes from yes yeah. hg ah, mm. and yeah. hydra water and argyrum, silver. Oh, oh right. of course. Oh. Yeah, so water, water, silver. Oh, like right. Argent, Argent, Argentina. Oh. Well, Argentina was named after... Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember in, I think, maybe like high school science class, you learn about why the Mad Hatter is called the Mad yeah, Hatter. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I believe that's something to do. They used mercury in felt production, right? Somehow what? you use what was binding the rabbit hair to make felt somehow? Close, yeah. There's something called, a, a method called carroting, and basically it was used in felt hats. It helped separate the pelt, like the fur from oh, the skin, okay. and it helped mat the fur together to make felt. Okay. And so that's where Mad Hatter came from because a lot of milliners and hat makers were exposed to mercury and uh, got poisoned and made them kind of cuckoo in the head. That's where the term Mad Hatter came dark. from. How yeah. Dark. How uh-huh. dark was Carol? That whole industry is full of people with mercury poisoning. And people back in the history times didn't realize that mercury was bad and mm-hmm. you know it's so mysterious and beautiful. People in some of the older cultures actually used to have like pools of mercury and they would bathe in them. Oh too. yeah. Where'd I they remember- find all this mercury? <laughs> yeah. yeah well, 
Well, I remember reading once about one of the Chinese emperors who yeah. was buried with his elaborate, elaborate miniature underground city that I had read had rivers in the city, and it was quicksilver in the little rivers to look just kind of ethereal Ooh. and yep. magical. Uh, Qin Shi Huang, which is the first emperor of China who unified China. I was obsessed about immortality, and you know I don't blame people back in the day with you know the alchemy craze and, and attributing magical properties to mercury because it is kind of amazing. Yeah. And so in his necropolis, he had rivers reported legends of it. Sure. No sure. one they haven't opened it up yet, but um, scientists actually have put in prods. Through the earth and found, whoa! There's a buttload of mercury underground, <laughs> and he also probably died from drinking mercury because thought it was an elixir to prolong his life.、Uh, Jokes on him. <laughs> so of course we also learned about Lewis and Clark in the history books, right? Sure. Sure. After the Louisiana Purchase, Thomas Jefferson appointed Mr. Lewis and Mr. Clark to go on an expedition with a team to explore what was essentially the wilderness between、yeah. the Mississippi River and, and, and the Pacific, Pacific Ocean. Ocean. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, nobody knows what was in the middle. So、no. uh, these there's, dudes... there's like barely anything there now. <laughs> <laughs> and so at the time of the expedition, and this is early 1800s, a lot of the medical hoopla is around humors and and body fluids and bile and blood and, and keeping so, things in the right、uh, balance relative yeah, to one another. Bloodletting and laxatives and enemas and vomiting all are quote acceptable ways of getting rid of disease because that's what they thought. People、yeah. still do that though. <laughs> <laughs> Trotting through the wilderness, Lewis and Clark and their team of people, their diet consisted of whatever they found and mostly like dried and stored salted meats. They were prepared for constipation, basically.、Okay. Hmm. And of course, they brought constipation pills, and they used to call these pills. Thunderclappers <laughs> or thunderbolts because they're like serious business laxatives. Oh, okay.、Right. So, when, so like when you see the commercials that say "gentle overnight relief," no, no. this is the opposite of that. This is colon blow. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is vigorous immediately relief. <laughs> <laughs> And they were made of. Fifty to sixty percent mercury. Oh my god! And back then, people knew that mercury was kind of toxic, but it flowed through the body so quickly; it would just pass through a person's system that it didn't really have much opportunity for the body to absorb it. You're really taking your life in your own hands there. <laughs> exactly. How bad do you need to poop?、Um, right. They basically ate mercury and, and pooped mercury、uh, mm-hmm. across America. <laughs> <laughs> That was the name of their tour: Poop and Mercury Across America. A sparkly trail in their wake. <laughs> like, like, silver in the hills. <laughs> But these mercury laxatives、uh, did prove handy eventually because mercury cannot be broken down, and so modern day scientists are able to trace their path. Lewis and Clark,、uh, no. by finding mercury in the soil. Wow, that's amazing.、Uh, a silver lining, if you will. <laughs> so there you go, mercury.、Wow. One of my my favorite things. So one of my favorite things, as you guys all well know, is I collect video games, and I haven't really talked about it that much on the show. I collect old games. I love researching old video You're games. Kind of a star. I, I, well, I mean, I don't know about that, but <laughs> we go to video game conventions and do retro game road show, which you can look up on YouTube, and、uh, we basically do antiques road show of video games. You have on more than one occasion been checking eBay auctions between, between recording shows. Yep, absolutely. Yep, yep. yep. And so here's the thing: I was thinking about what is you know for the good job brain listener, for the average person, you know, got to be something interesting. So 
let's talk about, okay, you might not care about old video games, but you would care if you might be holding on to some old video games mm. that are worth tons of money. So let's talk yes. about, let's talk about, good job, brain listeners, that old box of Nintendo games in your attic. Because I want to, <laughs> I want to bring up a few games and I want you to think about like, hmm, do I have these sitting up in my attic? Could I be sitting on thousands of dollars worth of video games and don't know it? Nintendo Entertainment System is really catching on now that the people who grew up with it are entering their 30s. For the next few years, I see these prices going a little bit higher as this becomes kind of a hot collectible. Atari kind of already had its day. Like, the people who wanted to go back and get Ataris already got them, and so a lot of those prices came down, but Nintendo is kind of on its way up right now. So the rarest retail Nintendo game, does anybody from having these conversations with me remember what it is? Sold in retail stores. Karen. Oh, I was going to say, is it the World Events? Oh, it's you're, you're close. Okay. Like, stadium, like the, stadium, 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 stadium yeah, events is yes. what it's called. Yes. It was for the Power Pad. By the way, I'm speaking specifically about the American releases. There were other releases. Stadium events was available for a long time in Europe. It's it's not hard to find. We're talking about the just the U.S. version. So basically, it was for the Power Pad, which was the the mat that you would put on the floor and you'd run on it to you know do like Olympic style oh, games. Yeah. Or if you're a fat kid like me, just hit it with your hands. You know? <laughs> um, Nintendo saw this pad, which is made by an outside company and it was called the family fun fitness pad and they were like oh this is good this addresses a lot of the issues that we have with oh kids are sedentary Mm. playing video games here's what we're going to do we are just going to license this from you we will rebrand it the power pad Uh. we'll take your game stadium events and we're going to call it world-class track meet because stadium events is not a very good yeah so you have played the game stadium events if you played the game that came with the power pad it's called world-class track meet if you have a family fun fitness pad that was taken off the market too but a few copies of stadium events and i mean like you know in the thousands were actually produced and got out there and so mm. right now the cartridge itself goes for about oh two to three thousand oh. dollars and it's and it's really if you have the box and instructions and everything it's like maybe twenty to thirty thousand dollars what wow. Um, wow. and again as people have been becoming aware of this there have been some people who are like Oh, I, I have that. And people have gone into their garage and pulled out a box of games. And a couple of people have had sealed ones because oh. they bought it, never played it. Nobody ever wanted to play it. They put it away and they bring out this sealed game, which is now worth like thirty to forty thousand wow. dollars. Um, Man. yeah, you gotta watch out for that. Nintendo did make a few cartridges available to contest winners. And, and these are the Nintendo World Championships cartridges. Mm. Remember the movie The Wizard? Yes. Sure. yes. After the movie The Wizard, which is about a, a fictional Nintendo champion. Nintendo had real Nintendo championships. They had regionals all around America, and kids would go. And, you know, the great thing about this is every kid thinks he's the best Nintendo player. Oh, yeah. 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 Because you're not really competing against anybody. Yeah, so well, I've beaten my you're sister like, and my friend. Yeah. Therefore, I must I'm be the best. Good. I must be yeah. the world champion. <laughs> yeah. And basically, Nintendo put together a special cartridge that had Super Mario, Rad Racer, the racing game, and Tetris. And you'd play these games in a sort of special timed setting, and then it would add up your score, and that would determine who would win. The finalists, there were 90 finalists, every one of them got the Nintendo World Championships cartridges, the special cartridges that they had been playing the games on. Mm. They're all serially numbered. And so the highest serial number is in the 300s. So that's approximately how many of them are out there. Wow. Those go for about eight to nine thousand dollars each. Uh, mm. and going up. There's also the gold cartridge, which because it's colored, you know, gold is kind of like the real holy grail of collectors. There are only twenty six that in are the all world. in the world. 
They were hand handmade. I think they took the cartridges that the kids played and put it into a gold Legend of Zelda cartridge case. Right, because I remember they had the Zelda, yeah. Yeah, printed off an inkjet printer. They printed the logo and they glued it onto the cartridge. And these, uh, they were only 26. They were a contest prize and they go for about $26,000. Wow. Of the 26 that were given out, only 13 have been found. That was my next question. There are. How many, yeah. Yep, so only 13 are present and accounted for. Some may have been destroyed, but there could be another 13 of these guys in your attic right now. Could be in your house. Q Public at home. So those are the three big ones for the old Nintendo Entertainment System. But in general, if you have any games that you're like, oh, I remember that weird old game that nobody else had, you know, that game might actually be worth money too. There's tons of games now that are worth like hundreds of dollars. Don't just go and think that that old box of games is an old box of games. Like, you should really do some research into them. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You can spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and get more time to actually play the games you love with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. You'll hear everything from Comic-Con coverage to the huge Diablo 4 launch. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back to Good Job Brain. We all picked our favorite things to talk about. So as you guys might have picked up from earlier episodes of Good Job Brain, I love word puzzles. I love figuring out riddles and puns. I love puns, kind of silly things you can do with language. So I took this quiz from National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences. So basically they took proverbs and then translated them into fancy big words. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, oh, everything's a $2 word. Got it. And you have to figure out what the simple proverb is. Okay. All right. Yep. Okay. So here we go. If a large solid-footed mammal becomes available to you without compensation, <laughs> refrain from casting your faculty for seeing into the oral cavity of such a creature. <laughs> what? Chris. Don't look, Don't a, look gift a gift horse, horse in the mouth. Yes. <laughs> Karen is not going to do well. Each vaporous mass suspended in the firmament has an interior decoration of metallic hue. Every cloud has a silver lining. <laughs> it is not advantageous to place the sum of your barnyard collections in the same wicker receptacle. Karen. Don't put all your eggs... In a basket. No. Uh, yeah. Don't count Ju- judges. One basket. One, yeah. In one yeah. basket. Sure. Yeah. It's not the basket that's the problem. It's just the fact that you just have the one. Deviation from the ordinary or common routine of existence is that which gives zest to man's cycle of existence. <laughs> Variety is the, the spice, spice of life. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are good. Uh-huh. 
He who locks himself into the arms of Morpheus promptly at evening tide and starts the day before it is officially announced by the rising sun, excels in physical fitness, increases his economic assets, and celebrates with remarkable efficiency. Early to bed and early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Do not traverse the structure erected to afford passage over a waterway until the time of drawing nigh unto it. Um, let's let's cross that bridge when we come to it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> There's no value to be derived from demanding attention by loud screeches over falling white liquid <laughs> derived from the lactic glands of a, a female bovine. Uh, don't cry over spilled milk. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> A body of persons abiding in a domicile of silica combined with metallic <laughs> oxides should not carelessly project small geological specimens. Everybody. People, People in glass, glass houses, houses shouldn't should throw, throw stones. stones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that thing that those Actually, guys said. One last one for, this one's for Karen. Okay. A canine which gives vent to his sentiments by a series of vocal efforts rarely finds use of his bicuspids. <laughs> Something about barking and teeth and biting. Yeah. I think the problem is I actually don't know the idiom. Oh, oh. Like his bark is worse than his bite. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 See, that's my problem. I actually don't know. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not saying. I'm not saying like Karen's dumb. She can't do this. <laughs> no. English is a second language. She doesn't encounter these idioms. One more. Yeah. One okay. more. One more. <laughs> <laughs> Again, Dana, do it again, Dana. A consolidated mass which forms the Earth's crust and which progresses by turning over upon its surface without slipping does not successfully gather together a cryptogamous plant. <laughs> a rolling stone gathers no moss. <laughs> you had me at cryptogamous. <laughs> yeah. They're really that's, that's good. And yeah. so nerdy. So nerdy. <laughs> I like those. It's like those so many levels of puzzle solving. <laughs> An avian creature possessed <laughs> that at the end of one's arm is infinitely more valuable I than know. two similar avian creatures. <laughs> a bird in the hidden, hand is hidden better inside than of a shrubbery. And constant foliage. And constant <laughs> foliage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as you guys know, one of my favorite things is art and art history and famous painters. And uh, indeed, we do get a lot of these painting-related ones all you. and trivia quizzes. And it's always, ah, Colin, who, what painter is this? <laughs> so I'm going to combine a quiz here that has a little bit of my love of painting and fine Italian art uh, with another one of my loves, Italian cheeses. Oh, okay. okay. I'm not a big fan of the French cheeses, more Italian. I tend to a little bit oh. creamier. I like that style. So I'm going to give you a name, mm -hmm. and okay. you need to tell me. Is this the name of a famous Italian painter, or is it the name of an Italian cheese? Awesome. Painter or cheese? Okay. Here we go. Buzz in if you think you know. Bocconcini. Chris. Painter. It is a cheese. <laughs> Butiro. Well, I'm not buzzing in anymore now. Cheese. It is a cheese, Dana, right. correct. Tintoretto. Karen. Painter. He is a painter. <laughs> Montegranero. Chris. I'm going to say cheese. That is a cheese. Nice. Verrocchio. Chris. Painter. He is a painter. Pastorino. Karen. 
That's got to be cheese. That is a cheese. Because <laughs> yeah, I think I feel like the cheese Parmesan names cheese. you can kind of yeah break down like pastor oh, okay. or like mountain. Mm, interesting. All right, mm-hmm. you got an insight here. Girlandio. Girlandio. Karen. I'm gonna say cheese. He's a painter. Oh, David Girlandio. Caravaggio. No. Chris. Painter. He is a painter. Yeah. Yes, famous, uh, famous Renaissance painter. Sarasso. Sarasso. Chris. Painter. Is a cheese. cheese. Oh, uh, I was going to say, it sounds delicious. <laughs> Masaccio. Karen. Painter. Painter, yes. Valca Soto. Chris. Cheese. It is a cheese. Oh. Sounds like risotto. Mm. Yeah. Last one here, guys. We'll close it out. All right. <laughs> Brunelleschi. Karen. Both. No, oh. I was not going to be tricky. Brunelleschi is a painter. Painter. Yes. All right, so oh, there you sure. go, guys. Next time you need to decide, painter or cheese. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's I a good know. game yeah. show, too. <laughs> painter or cheese. I'm hungry now. <laughs> As you know from listening to my music rounds, I really like Fleetwood Mac. Um, <laughs> and this is a band... Full of trivia. They are nothing but trivia. They were formed as a blues group in Britain in the late 60s. And having survived almost without interruption to this day, but with an incredible amount of musician turnover, basically. Tons of people have been in this band and left. But what's funny is, so we record Good Job Rain at Colin's house, and I'm always sitting right next to his CD racks. And we've actually looked at this particular CD that Colin has before. It's uh, John Mayall on the Blues Breakers, which uh, features Eric Clapton. And it's this old recording. It says in the liner notes, it's the first recording on which Eric Clapton ever sang. Guitarist Eric Clapton is attempting to sing a song. <laughs> um, Good luck, buddy! Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> wish them all the best. This album is actually really interesting and important because it also has John McVie, who is the bass player, or would go on to be the bass player of Fleetwood Mac. Eric Clapton, after that album, left the Blues Breakers. He was not with the Blues Breakers for very long. As it turns out, the fact that Eric Clapton quit the Blues Breakers is the reason Fleetwood Mac exists. Wow. Without that particular event happening, there is, there's no Stevie Nicks. Well, I mean, Stevie Nicks would still be born, but like, there's no, you know, no landslide, no thunder only happens when it's raining, none of that, because there's no Fleetwood Mac. It's a butterfly effect. Uh-huh. So what ends up happening is, Eric Clapton leaves this band, which is started by John Mayall, famous British uh, blues man. He uh, was replaced by Peter Green, who was mm. a blues guitarist, uh, singer. Everybody was in everybody else's bands. Yeah, because these had, days there's so much overlap. Peter Green had been in a band called Shotgun Express, and this band featured him, drummer Mick Fleetwood, and the vocalist was Rod Stewart. Uh, Whoa! Yeah! <laughs> so Eric Clapton, Rod Stewart, Mick Fleetwood, you know, everybody wow. was in everybody else's band. Peter Green got into the Blues Breakers and was like, hey, well, we need a new drummer. We should totally get Mick Fleetwood. I've been in these bands with him. And he's really good. You know, he's, you know, really young. You know, they bring him in. So at this point, the Blues Breakers is now John Mayall. The rhythm section is Mick Fleetwood and John McVie, who would form the core of Fleetwood Mac, and Peter Green. Peter Green gets into the recording studio at one point with Mick Fleetwood and John McVie, and they record a bunch of songs together that sort of apart from the Blues Breakers, and they record an instrumental song. Peter Green was always the sort of guy to give credit to the other people that he mm. was, you know, hanging out with. He liked pushing other people to the, to the forefront, and he named this instrumental song, which was eventually released, but he named the song Fleetwood Mac. Ah. Um, and it was named after Mick Fleetwood, the drummer, and John McVie. Ah. 
the, the bassist, because he thought they were a really great rhythm section. Peter Green then left the Blues Breakers, and he was like, hey guys, let's start a band together. We're going to call the band Fleetwood Mac, and it's going to be about you. So Mick Fleetwood was like, okay, yes, totally, I'll, I'll be in this new band, named after me. And John McVie was like, no, I like being in the Blues Breakers. Peter Green names the band Fleetwood Mac anyway, <laughs> in hopes that by naming the band Fleetwood Mac, he He'll will come. eventually entice him. convince him to leave the Blues Breakers and join this new band. Only a couple of weeks later, John McVie came along and joined the band. <laughs> so the, the ploy and worked. So the, yeah. And the, the core of Fleetwood Mac is is the rhythm section, bassist John McPhee and drummer McFleetwood, and they have been with the band for basically the entire time. Huh. One of their first singles was Black Magic Woman. A lot of people do not know was no! a Fleetwood Mac song. Yeah, huh. that is a Peter Green composition. Obviously Santana made yes! it very famous uh, years later. Great trivia question. So all the while, John McVie was dating and then married to Christine Perfect, later Christine McVie, who would form like the third member of what we kind of know as the Fleetwood Mac that became really popular. She was sort of peripheral to the band during all this time. She would play on their albums as like a session musician. She actually drew one of their album arts, but she was never in the band. Uh, Uh, But she only, she officially joined later after like Peter Green left. People just started going crazy in Fleetwood Mac. Like Peter Green had mental breakdowns and so he left. Another guitarist that was with the band named Jeremy Spencer, he was the fourth man when they started up. He joined a religious cult when they were out on tour. They had to spend a couple of days like looking for him and it turns out he was like with this religious cult and they were like, nah, you're out of the band, bye. You know, another guitarist kind of like freaked out at them and had to quit. So they just sort of this churn constantly. They shouldn't Um, have made their instruments out of mercury. (laughs) (laughs) They ended up in the U.S. They were kind of popular in like U.S. college tours. They did okay, profitable, college kids paid to see them, but it was just sort of weird like they weren't really, they weren't catching on as they were when they were doing the blues thing. Mid-70s, Mick Fleetwood, John McVie, Christine McVie, they don't have a front man for their band, basically, and they're just sort of like, we have no idea what we're going to do. And they discover Lindsey Buckingham, and he had just cut this album with his girlfriend, Stevie Nicks, and they called it Buckingham Nicks. They're really it original features, with it is, it is Super 70 Hippies cover. It is the two of them naked on the cover. <laughs> He's got long, huge hair down to his shoulders. They're just both staring intently into the camera. So... They are like, Lindsey Buckingham, please join our band. And he was like, no, because we're a package deal. You actually have to hire both Both of us. us. And they were like, Stevie Nicks, I don't know. Well, okay, fine. You're in the band too. You know, it's like, (laughs) so now it's very, it's a very strange band because you have three um, super creative singer-songwriters in this band. Well, surely there will be no tension. Oh, no, not at all. Well, they they got one album out before the tension started. (laughs) Um, And it it was a huge hit. It was the first, you know, Fleetwood Mac just titled Fleetwood. Fleetwood Mac. That was where Landslide was on that. They have this hit with Fleetwood Mac, and then they go to record Rumors, the follow-up album. And of course, this is going to become one of the biggest albums Albums, in the history of music. And what all is happening at the same time is John McVie and Christine McVie are divorcing. Right. Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks are breaking up, and Mick Fleetwood is getting divorced from his wife. And Mick Fleetwood's wife is Jenny Boyd. And she was the sister of Patty Boyd, who was Uh, George Harrison's wife. But she had an affair with Eric Clapton. And she is the woman after whom Layla 
Yes, she is. She also has claimed uh, in later years that she is the person who something in the way she moves, you know, George Uh Harrison, something uh is written about. Wonderful Tonight was written about her, (laughs) probably. But she eventually did get married also to Eric Clapton. But yeah, so. It's like a crazy spider web. Yeah, so Mick Fleetwood is getting divorced, not from her, but from her sister. And as it turns out, this produces the phenomenal album about people breaking up with each other, right? That's that's ever really happened. (laughs) They got out another couple albums. They did well, but then it just tensions between all of them just sort of fell apart and and in 1987 Lindsay Buckingham was out but after he left a lot of people just sort of assumed they broke up no they they hired more people to replace him they kept touring but then they did one more album then Stevie Nicks leaves Fleetwood Mac kept going until 1995 wow and then in 95 they were like okay we're we're done but it was Bill Clinton's inauguration because he had used Don't Stop as right, his right. as his uh, theme song he had them reunite in 93, and that kind of planted the seeds later for them reuniting finally in 1997. Bill Clinton, man, he's good at brokering peace. <laughs> he is. Yeah. Well, that's building bridges. That was yeah. always one of his core principles. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> couldn't, couldn't achieve peace in the Middle East, but got Fleetwood Mac back together. Really, what's harder? Are you looking for a podcast that your whole family can enjoy that asks the deep philosophical questions like, do trees fart? If you are, then you'll love Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Join us as we explore stories of science discovery from butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between. You'll love these stories and you'll learn something new. Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts or at sciencepodcastforkids.com. All right, let's share our last favorite thing, and it's my favorite thing. I love genetics and science, and I love reading about weird genetic hybrids. Mm. And we actually get this in pub trivia, you know, what do you get when you cross a donkey and a horse? Right. Oh, donkey! Yeah. <laughs> a horky. A, a honky. What do you get when you cross a lion and a tiger? You get a liger. Oh, uh-huh. mm-hmm. oh wait, no, that you is really do. Yeah. Yeah. So here, I have a quiz. I'm going to tell you what the, quote, parents are, oh, okay. and you tell me what oh, okay. their hybrid offsprings are. All right. And they range from plants to animals. So what do you get when you cross a camel with a llama? Oh, oh! It, uh, is that an alpaca? Or, no, mm, it's its own animal. Hmm. I hope it's a clamel. That's what I <laughs> a clamel. It is a camma. A camma. C a m a. C a m a. I guess we should buzz in because right. yeah. a camma. Most of these are portmanteau words. <laughs> okay, so all right. A dolphin and a whale. <laughs> Dale. Oh, a a walfin. A walfin. It is a walfin. A walfin. Yes. Oh. <laughs> extremely, extremely rare hybrid. There is a walfin in Hawaii, and you can go see the walfin. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> but very rare. All right. What do you get when you cross a pomelo with sweet orange? Uh, an orangelo. Oh yeah, an orangelo. I've heard of that. Something incorrect. No. It is oh. a grapefruit. What? What? Oh. what? A, that's not a portmanteau. Trick question. Yeah. A grapefruit okay. is okay. a cross between uh, what is known as a pomelo and a Jamaican sweet orange. Huh. Huh. Oh. I did not know that. Why is a grapefruit called a grapefruit? 
Oh, is there a reason? There is a reason. Is it to make it sound better than it actually tastes? <laughs> it, I'm going to guess something to do with the way they cluster when they grow. Yep, when they grow, they often appear uh, like looking like a cluster of grapes, hence mm-hmm. grapefruit. Mm-hmm. And uh, before the name grapefruit, grapefruit was known as a shaddock. S-H-A-D-D-O-C-K or S-H-A-T-T-U-C-K. What do you get when you cross a zebra with a donkey? Oh. <laughs> A Z-donk. Correct. Yeah. Also acceptable is zonky. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a pastry. Like a, hil- <laughs> like a hostess. Yeah. Uh, and if you cross a zebra with a horse, you get a zorse. Zorse. <laughs> nice. What do you get when you cross a wild boar and a pig? Wild boar and domestic pig. <laughs> a <Man>. poor. <laughs> a big poor. <laughs> Wild boar and domesticated pig. Yeah. Mm, I don't know. This takes a history buff. It's actually called an Iron Age pig. Whoa. And there's a story behind this. In the early 1980s, scientists started a breeding project or program trying to recreate the type of pig from the the prehistoric Iron Age. Seems like it's a blend of Why? Maybe there's a reason it went away. (laughs) Maybe it tasted too good. Maybe we had to kill them all for some reason. This was known as backbreeding, trying to reverse engineer and cheat Hmm. an animal that used to exist in the past. So boar plus pig, Iron Age pig. All right, we had this in trivia before. What do you get when you cross a blackberry with a loganberry? Oh, God, we totally... Is this the boysenberry? Yes. Correct, this boysenberry. Is the boysenberry. What do you get when you cross a coyote and a dog? Mm. The best dog. <laughs> <laughs> a cog? Oh. A koi dog. Koi. Oh, koi dog. I almost went to that. There's also koi wolf. I'm going to end the segment with a fact. This was kind of mind-blowing and also unsettling. Uh, bee farmers were working on trying to breed a tamer and more manageable breed of honeybees, mm-hmm. right? So they crossed European honeybees with African bees, mm-hmm. hoping that they would get something that produces honey, but also a lot easy to for beekeepers to, to keep in their apiaries. Ironically, what oh. they got, they bred killer bees. Oh, no. <laughs> the ones you see from movies. This is, this is why we do not play God. Yes, scary <laughs> news headlines were a result of humans trying to breed nice bees. I did not know Instead, that. Instead, they got killer bees. This is why we can't have nice bees. <laughs> this is oh man, This is like the end of Planet of the Apes. <laughs> Nature is a cruel mistress. All right, so those are a lot of our favorite things. And I want to end this show on a very warm and fuzzy note. I got this really nice Facebook message from Pastor Allen. And he's a big fan of our show. And he wrote, I know you're not a Christian show, but I want to thank you for helping me with my relationship with God. Your collective awe at the beauty and marvel of creation is both contagious and inspiring. Thank you so very much for this show. So have a happy holidays, everybody. And that's our show. Thank you guys for joining me. And thank you guys, listeners, for listening in. Hope you learn a lot about Fleawood Mac. Yeah. Phrases and hybrids and killer bees. And mercury. And mercury, yes. Pooping mercury. (laughs) Across the USA. (laughs) You can find us on Zoom Marketplace, on iTunes, on Stitcher, and also on our website, goodjobbrain.com and check out our sponsor at bonobos.com and we'll see you guys next week bye Bye.
save money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save money. 